The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. It's so good to be here. Isn't God good? God is so good. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to look at a text out of 1 Corinthians, which is one of Paul's letters, and he writes in the 50s, not the 1950s, but the actual 50s, and he's writing to a church that he himself founded, and uh, this is what he says. Are you ready for the Word of God? And it goes like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's up there, it's also in your smallotin, verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Did you notice how Paul divides all of humanity into two groups just like that? Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. In other words, it's not you who are doing any kind of saving of any kind. You are being saved and it's not done yet. There has yet to be a completion. You have yet to finish that, cross that finish line. For it is written... And he quotes out of Isaiah, I will destroy, that is God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Paul says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? In other words, where's the professor? Where's the teacher? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, that is our message, through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. I love that. I love that. Did you see that salvation has to include the calling of God, that it's not just me that decides when I'm going to do anything for God. God decides and calls me. It is the voice of God through the Word of God, that, that is through the Spirit of God illuminating even this Word here so that it's not just black ink on paper anymore. It is living and it, it awakens hearts that are dead. That it is the voice of God. It is the, it is the voice of the Father that awakens sons and daughters. But I also need to believe. I like that. See, we think we're, we're saved when we believe, but God said, from God's perspective, is you're saved when I call you. I'm calling you. That's why you can respond, because I'm calling you. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, from both of these whole people groups, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is God's Word. The Word of God. I was thinking a lot about this text. In fact, this is a text I turn to when I need to remind myself what I'm about, who I am. This is a text I, I, I like to go to 
Because there's times in my life that I, that I doubt myself. Have you ever doubt yourself? You ever wonder, who am I? Even when you're up on top, you think, who do you think you are? And when you're on the bottom, you say, do I have anything left to offer? And sometimes we look at our lives and, we, and we're overwhelmed by the fact that we think we're in control, but we're not. And this text is a beautiful text that reminds me of who I am, who we are. And this text is actually sandwiched right there in the middle of Paul saying to the church, now I want to remind you that you need to be of the same mind and same spirit. There, I've heard there's divisions among you. I've heard you're quarreling. I heard you're, you're not just disagreeing, but you're being kind of nasty toward each other. In the church, in the church, where we should find security in the church, that we actually should be a place where we listen to one another. There's division. That makes me feel really good because I haven't been a part of a church that hasn't had some division, right? I think, Lord, I'm grateful that Paul's church had trouble too, right? But he says this, be of the same mind. And then he goes into how the message that we proclaim is one in which is is not understood by the culture. It wasn't understood then, and it's certainly not understood now unless God awakens hearts. Now, there's a lot of things that we're numb to in our culture. We are accustomed and and, and even expect a certain level, for example, uh, of violence to be portrayed in a movie. Have you ever watched a movie and say, well, that was all right, right? But I just need a little extra violence in there. Maybe that's not you, but certainly that's me sometimes. Like, there, there was no blood in that movie. What happened? That, that's not an American movie. Or, or, or there's certain things I'm numb to, even in my own home. Like when my daughters keep asking for money, I, I don't hear that voice anymore. She's 16 and they're, they're 14. Dad, she asked me for $2. at her high school. I'm walking. I was helping my daughter. I made Indian food for her class. Uh, One of my daughter's class. It was an English. How does an English class, honors English class, get me to cook Indian food? That's just (laughs) confusing. But they were talking about heritage and this and that. And uh, as I'm walking out, my daughter says, Dad, do you have $2? And I said, I I don't know what you mean by that. And uh, and, and I... (laughs) I have no, I, I can't understand that right now. And I said, does anybody have $2 for my daughter? She's like, ah! Literally happened this week. She's not going to ask me for money at school anymore. Learn your lesson. I'm, I'm, I'm numb. I'm numb to that kind of stuff. And you know another thing we're numb to? Even in the church. We're numb to the word cross. We're numb to the word crucifixion. In a certain level, we, we come to expect it. We, we, we've come familiar with it. And nothing could be so far removed from the culture that Paul preached to. You would never bring it up. Is it easy for us to even bring up death in a, in a conversation? Isn't that the last thing you want to talk about? It's so painful. Maybe some of you are grieving here from a recent loss. And I want you to know that God's comfort and peace is upon you. And that you're not alone. That you don't need to walk alone. There's a community here 
that many of us have walked where you are needing to walk. And we want to we be with you. And it's not something that we are comfortable with. We don't talk about these things. And certainly, in, if you rewind 2,000 years, you, you would not bring up someone's crucifixion. That, that, that would be just not just not polite. It would be ludicrous. In fact, Cicero, one of the great orators of the Roman society, said this, and I quote, Let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, from his eyes, and from his ears. Did you see that? He says, it is so degrading. It is so shameful. It's so beneath us. We should never mention it. Because it's not, it doesn't display who we are as the Roman people on top in charge. And the idea that anybody who died on a cross was in any sense exceptional, elevated, noble, loving, or some type of an important person was absurd. How can you say that someone who dies on a cross, much less dies, is still important? Have you ever thought about the fact that in a few generations people will not really know who we are and we struggle and toil and we stomp our feet in our homes or on the job? Do you know who I am? You don't know who I am, huh? You really don't. If you knew who I am, you'd listen, right? That's what we say. We stomp our feet and we demand people to know us. And, and that's the great longing of our humanity is that it's to be known and that's a good thing. And it's to know others. That's why God can only fill that vacuum. But you know what? In a few generations, I mean, my kids barely know who I am, right? <laughs> they don't even know who I am. They're asking for money all the time. They don't know who I am. But in, how about my grandchildren? Are they going to know who I am? Well, that's up to me. And up to them. Well, my, my great-grandchildren. I mean, how many of you know your great-great-great-grandparents' names right now? Lift up your hand if you have great-great-great-grandparents' names. Yeah, because you have Ancestry. You got an app for that, don't you? Yeah, Pastor Israel, I got it all right here. Your sermon illustration is not working right now, okay? It's not working. Do you know their, do you know their story? Do you know their personality? Do you know what was the great markers of their life that changed their lives? At a certain level, we don't. Even with the best of historical records, we, do we truly know these people? In other words, we are so finite, we're so limited. And, and, and my death, that will come challenges me and, and death challenges all of us to, to really reevaluate our lives how to live life and it is the cross of Christ that changes everything in the face of all of this in, a, in the face of a culture that just did not understand how they could make a claim the church could make the claim or even speak of the cross mention the cross these Christians are weird 
talking about the cross that some obscure teacher in an insignificant part of the world I mean we're not even talking about a dominant country we're not talking about Egypt we're not talking about we're not talking about Rome if God was to save the world why didn't he use a Caesar why didn't he use someone of great importance and they overlook Christ but you know what no one has been ever more important than Jesus no one no one's words are like his words no one's touch is like his touch no one's presence is like his presence when he came into a room even the demons shuddered but they overlook because we like to see power displayed in powerful ways right we like marching bands and we like armies we see we see that kind of thing and we think oh wow something to behold but did you know that when God, when God came to display the great love and power that God only has, He came in weakness. He came in servitude. He came in a way that even the average person, the common person, the, the lowest of the low could identify with Him. There's no God like our God who does this. All the other gods come in power Demand sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice, before they will do anything for you. Now, you, some, of the, some of the gods that the people believed in in the ancient times says, you need to sacrifice your children if you, for me to know that I'm, I can bless you. I need to know how dedicated you are first. You dedicate your child even to the flames, then I'll bless your crops. It's evil. You know that religion is so evil. Deludes us to thinking that we can, that we can earn anything. That we, that we need to do X, Y, and Z in order to receive something from God. Religion is from the devil. It doesn't work. It's all based in pride. And that's why we boast in the cross of Christ. Because it is only by the cross of Christ that we can truly see the heart of God. That He comes to do what none of us would ever even have dreamt of. None of us could ever want to do. None of us could ever attempt to do. That He comes and says, before you do anything for me, I'm going to show you how great a love I have for you. And He comes, Paul comes and speaks about the cross. And they thought, this is foolishness that someone could die on a cross and save the world. You know, Will Willimon, who is a uh, bishop in the Methodist Church and a, the chaplain for the Duke University for years, he said, some of us have been in the church so long that we actually, this makes sense. Our message makes sense. And we've forgotten how unbelievable, how unbelievable it really is. That it's really something to behold with great mystery and awe. And you actually have to just trust in it even without understanding all of it. That's what faith is. Newsweek religion editor Kenneth Woodward writes, Clearly the cross is what separates the Christ of Christianity from every other Jesus. How many know they're false messiahs? 
There are false saviors. There are false lords. People who claim to be the truth and have the truth, but they're nothing, not even close to the truth. In Judaism, there is, a pre- there is no precedent for a Messiah who dies. When the Jews saw that the church proclaimed that a crucified Savior was the only Savior, they said there's a, no reason to believe that. As, as soon as you talk about the cross, that cannot be in the same sentence of a Messiah. You can't, you can't be a Messiah and be shamed. You can only be glorified. But what they miss is that the glory of God comes going into the darkness, going into the suffering, taking on the misery and the sinfulness of this world, taking it upon himself and said, it's no longer yours, I'm going to take care of this. It is glory through suffering, not through military conquest. In Islam, the story of Jesus' death is rejected as an affront to Allah himself. I was reading about this uh, Muslim brother who said that that's offensive that Paul would say foolishness and God in the same sentence. Because what he, what he read was that Paul was calling God foolish. How many know that's not what Paul said? What Paul said was this. The culture around us that we are proclaiming the message to, when they hear these words, they think, that's foolish. It is perceived foolishness. And you know what Paul does? He uses their words against them. That's called irony. That's called marriage, by the way. (laughs) Have you you ever said something and they they, they use it back and you're like, I didn't say that. That's not right either. You're using my words now to do that. That's not cool. He uses their words. He says, oh, you think... That Jesus, the Savior and Lord, the only Lord, the only Savior, goes on the cross and you say utter foolishness. He says, you know what? If that's the case, the perceived foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of this world. That in the wisdom that people think that they have, People think they're so wise. Certain cultures think they're so wise. They're, they're, they're so above the basics of this world. They think they can arrive at a place of, of deepest satisfaction by their own efforts. And nothing could be further from the truth. So our Muslim brother who had a problem with Paul's usage is not studying it correctly in all due respect. Hindus, and I'm still quoting from Kenneth Woodward, he says, Hindus can only accept a Jesus who escapes degradation of death. It doesn't make sense to them either. And he says this, The figure of the crucified Christ, says one Buddhist authority, and I quote, is a very painful image for me. It does not contain joy or peace, and this does not do justice to Jesus. Well, you know what? I have to agree at a certain level. 
It doesn't do me any joy to consider the suffering that Jesus took. That he was held up on a cross with nails. And it was not the nails that held him there, but his love for us. But it gives me joy to know that he did it because he loved us. It gives me joy to know that I could never do this on my own. In in short, there's no room in other religions for a Christ who experiences the full burden of moral existence, suffering, and hence there is no reason to believe in Him as the divine Son whom the Father resurrected from the dead. You see, if you, can, if you think that the cross is foolishness, you don't need to listen to the rest of the story. But unless you hear the whole story, that story doesn't make sense. Friday doesn't make sense unless you get to Sunday. And that's why when I was driving up here this morning and I saw that sunrise peak up, which I don't get to see very often. Praise God. Praise God. I saw that sunrise and said, ooh, I haven't seen you in a while. And it was like God smiling on the earth. The warmth of His love. Some people just see a a turning of the rotation of, of of the earth on its axis allowing for sunlight to hit the land. I I see the favor of God. And I don't get to see the sunrise too often because my my, I have an alarm clock, but it's a suggestion. (laughs) It's like, you know, you might think about thinking about getting up. And I I don't want to think about that. I don't. Thank you for mentioning that. My wife's my alarm clock. You better get up right now because uh, I need help. Okay, okay, I will. That's not a suggestion. Amen. I was seeing the sunrise and it reminded me of that first Easter morning when those women, those beautiful women, went to pay homage, went to pay their respects to the wounded, crucified, shamed body of Christ. They didn't have to do that. In their despair and their pain, they went to bring spices to, to prepare them and to give them a, not just a burial, but an but a honored burial. And they were talking to one another. Remember that? They said, who's going to roll away that stone for us? I like that. Because I think, oh, this is going to get me in trouble. I think women always expect someone else to be there when they need, I'm just joking, I'm just joking, don't, don't do that. No, I'm just joking. Woo! And the Lord always provides for them, so there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Who's going to roll away that stone for us? Little did they knew the angel of the Lord was there. What they thought they were going to do was honor the dead body, but what they saw was a resurrected Savior. And if Jesus was just a man, then it would be just another death. In fact, a tragic death that we should never talk about. But because He rose again on Sunday, because He took the worst that the world could give Him, He took the injustice that should have been a just system, He took the mockery of His own people. 
He took your sinfulness, my sinfulness, the darkest of your days Jesus endured on the cross. And he took it to the grave. And he rose again, victorious, triumphant. And he said, touch me, touch me. It's me, not a ghost, it's me. The message of the cross doesn't make sense unless you, if you have the message of, revel, of resurrection. And that was an eyewitness event. You know, with all the wisdom the Greeks and Egyptians had, with all the wisdom of all the cultures, of all the humanity, in its totality, in the wisdom of God, they never found God. Isn't it interesting? I mean, we have, you take a philosophy class, you take, you take classes on logic, you can, and there's good things in there. But you know what? They don't help you. <laughs> they make things more confusing sometimes, right? They don't help you arrive at a healing place of transformation, of peace. In all the wisdom that they came up with, and I, and I quote the late Dr. Walter Martin, who wrote The Kingdom of the Cults, he said this, and I quote Dr. Martin, the golden ages of Greece led the Greeks to Plato's philosophy, utter disaster, moral chaos, multiple polytheistic worship. They came up with a God for everything under the sun, and even for the sun itself. Zeus, Athena, Aphrodite were the gods they conceived. And they had human characteristics, including sinfulness. How's that helpful? They're more messed up than us. They could overcome humanity, but guess what? They could be overcome by humanity. Not the God that we serve. Not the one true living God. The one true living God comes comes to his own and his own did not believe in him and he did not take shortcuts he didn't perform signs just to do a demonstration of power for power's sake he didn't perform signs for people who demanded signs but he performed miracles for people who were in such a need to understand that they were loved by God do you see the difference nothing wrong with asking for a sign of God's love. But to demand is another issue. Because to demand is to say, I'm not going to believe unless. And that's a dangerous position to be in. The Jews were like that. They said, I'm not going to believe unless you perform a sign. And Jesus called that a perverse generation that said you need something in order for you to believe. Jesus simply said, you follow me, and as you follow me, you'll get what you need. You don't just get, you don't put a demand on me first. You, you come to know me as I get to know you. There's still people like that. Maybe you're like that. I'm going to devote myself to God if he heals me or if he heals my child and let's get this straight there's nothing wrong with asking for healing we should pray for healing we should gather around people and pray but to put that as a stipulation before you believe is another matter i'm going to follow jesus if i can maintain my independence i will follow you to a certain point 
But if it requires suffering, you'll see me later. I'll be there later. After that, I will happily become a follower of Christ if God proves himself to me. Really? What about your own breath? What about your very life? Is that not enough for you? Is the sunrise not enough for you? I will turn from my sin and and I'll read the Bible every day. If my marriage improves without me doing anything. That don't work. That's not going to work. I'm going to acknowledge Jesus as Lord if he performs a kind of miracle on demand. How many know God's not on demand? God's not a genie. God's not your, your butler. But God has already definitively come in the person of Jesus. He does not come with an army, though he had an army of angels. He, he does not come dressed in the finest of robes that the Caesars dressed in. He comes in ordinary clothing. But his speech was unparalleled. His touch was undeniable. It had power. You say today, Pastor, I believe in all, a lot of this, but how can we make exclusive claims about Jesus? How can we preach this message that seems like it's foolishness to the world and those, there's still people that demand signs. You know what Paul says? Paul says, we simply preach Christ crucified. We don't rely on our planning. We don't rely on our budget. We don't rely on our performance. We don't rely on our lineage, our pedigree. We don't rely on our degrees. You want me to keep going? We don't rely... We don't rely on anything but Jesus himself for our salvation. We let Jesus sort that out. But let's, ne- let's make no mistake about it. It is an exclusive claim to say that Jesus is the only way. It does come off foolish to those who don't understand spiritual things. It does seem arrogant to people who think, who do you think you are saying that your belief is better than mine? But you know what? If you examine it, Every belief is an exclusive claim. Let me say this. If you say there's more than one God, that's an exclusive claim. So don't call my claim that there's only one God that has come to save us any more exclusive than that claim. Or people who say, well, we simply can't know that there's a God. Science doesn't show us this. I would say that is an exclusive claim. That is also an arrogant claim. The point is, in whom will you boast in? Will you boast in yourself? Will you boast in your science? Will you boast in your intellect? Paul says that God has taken the intelligence of this world and make it look really foolish. Because in all the wisdom, they could not come up with salvation. Only God. Only God loves. Only God saves. And it is through Jesus Christ. So my friends, let me ask you a question. Do you trust in this Jesus? Are you filled with His love? Are you filled with His love? Do you trust in Him? Or are you putting stipulations, demands? Oh, before I do this, Lord, you've got to do this. 
Leave those behind. Drop those. Say, Lord, send me where you want. And, and send me to my job with, a, with an attitude of, of gratitude. Come on now. Send me to the places that I go now. I don't need to be sent somewhere right, you know, later. I can be sent now with the gospel. Are you a servant like Christ is? Are you proclaiming the message by how you live? Are, are you wanting to trust in Him more? My friends, you are not in charge of your salvation, and you're certainly not in charge of your neighbor's. But what you can do is trust that the Lord is and live a life, live a life that is so free that you don't look down on people. You don't look down on people. You don't think you're above anybody. And you know what? The only one above you is the Lord. So then you can trust in Him. You can live in trust And then you can live in humility. That's the Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, we need to live like that. We need to live like you. We need to live like that with no limits of showing love. Help us, Lord, not to call attention to our needs and our wants, but to take up the cross like you did. That is to deny ourselves. Not just to deny ourselves, not just for show, not just to be seen, Lord, but because of the love that you've entrusted in us. To be people that are so free that we don't mock, we don't, we don't complain, we don't point the finger, we accept responsibility. We see the best in people. We see your fingerprint. We see, we see you operating working, saving. Renew our faith. Renew our faith today. Breathe life into us. Holy Spirit, come. Remind us of who we are. We belong to you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, let the people of God say... This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.